From the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hello, podcast listeners. We are back for another episode and happy to be with you. Yes. Wherever you may be, maybe you're driving in your car, maybe you're sitting at your kitchen table, maybe you're lying in your bed. Oh. Isn't that interesting to think all the people around the world where they might be listening to us right yes. now? Yes. And and I like that you mentioned around the world because we do get that feedback that, yeah. that, that there are people all over that all listen. All over the planet. Is... Thank you, God, for this technology that allows mm -hmm. us to do that. It's really good. Well, um, you were sharing just last night at the dinner table about a very exciting experience you had recently. I thought our listeners might like to hear about exciting it. Exciting is one way to put it. I think it is. Yeah. Uh, exciting and rattling, shall we say. Okay. Yes. That will make more sense in a minute why I chose that word. So I was on a backpacking trip this past weekend with the kiddos and with a dear friend, Drew Davis, who's a faithful listener. <laughs> so, Drew, you know where I'm going with this. Uh, <laughs> we were at this beautiful trail. I had never hiked this trail before. Uh, it's called the Loyal Sock Trail in north central Pennsylvania. Absolutely gorgeous. Waterfalls, creeks, mountain views, but it is rattlesnake territory. And Drew had been on this trail before. And we're coming up to this kind of rocky overlook. And he just said, look, uh, you know, everybody just heads up. This is where I saw some rattlesnakes before and just be careful. And so I was standing on this rocky ledge and I wanted to get to another part of the rocky ledge. And I had to make a little bit of a leap from one rock to another. Mm -hmm. And I put my foot out to make that little step over from one rock to the other. And I heard this it all happened this quickly, right? Just in the snap of a finger, but it seemed like it was, you hear the steps like, oh, what is that sound? I, th that sounds like a rattlesnake. Oh, I'm in a territory where there are rattlesnakes. Oh, that is a rattlesnake. That sound is very close. And I looked down under my feet, under my foot, I mean, where I'm like, like dangling my foot between these two rocks are two rattlesnakes mating. <laughs> and my foot was right above it and I was in strike zone and they could have both taken a nice chomp out, out of my leg or foot. And, <laughs> and it was one of, it, I thank God uh, they, for the rattle. Thank God I was able to step back without, without getting bitten. Yes. But I, I was imagining, you know, the headlines in the Catholic press, Christopher West, the theology of the body guy killed in the Pennsylvania wilderness by mating rattlesnakes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's something maybe, uh, I don't know, weird or prophetic or telling. Uh, but I don't know. Anyway, I'm alive. I didn't get bitten, but it was pretty scary. Yeah. It was rattling. It was. And th that night in the tent, I, I woke up in the middle of the night. I wasn't so shaken by it when it actually happened. You kind of just, whoa, thank God I didn't get bitten. And I went on with my day. But that night I was like, oh my goodness. And they were so camouflaged. Like when I first went to make the step, I'm looking down to make the step and I didn't see them. But then when I heard the rattle, I looked again and there they were. It's like your eyes adjust 
the camouflage of these rattlesnakes was astounding. Wow. So I don't know what the moral of the story is there, but uh, if you're hiking in the northern parts of Pennsylvania wilderness, watch out for the timber rattlesnakes. I told our friend Bill a little bit, actually Thomas told our friend Bill about this and, and he was joking that the female rattlesnake probably said to the male one, now I thought you said this was a private place for us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, let's go on to uh, our listeners' yes, questions. Indeed. So I have a question from Alwyn. Alwyn, hey Alwyn. Yeah. Um, when it comes to praying for a spouse, having discerned a call to marriage, to what extent should I expect God to consider my inner desires for physical beauty, age similarity, certain personality traits? I'm afraid to seek dates because of the possibility that God might expect me to be open to someone who doesn't meet my inner checklist. I also want to avoid the trap of thinking I can ultimately satisfy my deepest desires, especially with this ache of singlehood. Is it wishful thinking to believe that God doesn't show you gold and then give you silver? Hmm. Wait, wait, what, what do you think Alwyn means by that? What? Uh, I am not sure, but I included it because I thought maybe you would understand what he meant. The silver and the gold thing, I'm not sure yeah, I'm getting. I Can think, you read that one more time? I think it means, like, disappoint your desires. Uh, like the... God planted these desires and you shouldn't be afraid that he's going to somehow make you get less than you were hoping okay. for or something. Okay, Alwyn, God bless you. God bless you. I, I understand the, where you're coming from. I think I get your heart and I have some light to shine, I think. And I'm sure you do too, Wendy. This, this, is, this kind of question is near and dear to our hearts. Uh, because of some of our own painful experiences, because of our desire to help others really love persons and not just ideals that we have in mm -hmm. our in our minds of what a person should be or the kind of person mm -hmm. I, sh I quote want to marry. Mm -hmm. uh, here, here's a concern that I have for you, Alwyn. That the very idea of a checklist kind of subtracts from the dignity of a person. A checklist by its very nature is a set of qualities, right? And I don't want to say that there's anything wrong in and of itself with being attracted to or desiring certain qualities in a person. That's fine and good. John Paul II calls that kind of attraction to a person's qualities he calls that the, the raw material of love. But he says there's a danger that we consider the raw material of love the finished form of love. And he says that raw material of love needs to be built into love itself. And there's a danger that if those qualities in a person to which you are attracted there's a danger that if those qualities that you're attracted to don't lead to an attraction to the person, that what you call love may add up in the end, not to love, but to its exact opposite, which is a kind of usorial attitude towards another to satisfy your own mm -hmm. 
needs. Um, so let me just give an example from my own life. This is one I often use in my talks because this comes up quite a bit. You know, Wendy, that I have always been attracted to red hair. I find red hair in a woman very lovely. I don't know mm -hmm. why. It's just mm -hmm. something I've been attracted to. So that's something that, you know, I, I might have had on my checklist. Mm -hmm. I'd like to be married to a woman with red hair. Well, you're a brunette. Mm -hmm. And I'm so fine with that because that's who God made you to be. I don't want you to be a redhead because you're not a redhead. But if, if, if my love, if what I called love just stopped at that level, you would think in order for me to love you, you'd have to dye your hair red. And then if we're out to dinner and some attractive redheaded waitress shows up to take our order and I find her attractive, it, you would feel, well, I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth. If love was just at that level in our relationship, how would you feel? when that attractive redheaded waitress showed up. Uh, yeah, in endangered or, you know, jealous. Yeah. Fear of she's going to be more appealing to you than I am. Right. So that's mm -hmm. when, when love, when what we call love stops at qualities. Here's John Paul II's language. Qualities are repeatable, which means you can find the same qualities in any number of people. Mm-hmm. If my love stops at mere qualities that I can put on a checklist, then my love will shift to wherever I find those qualities in their highest or most attractive degree. Again, we're not saying we shouldn't be attracted to certain qualities in a person. Of course we should, but those qualities are meant to lead to what John Paul II calls the mystery of the person. Mm -hmm. And the person is unrepeatable. There is no other Wendy West in the universe. And if you know that my love reaches you, the unrepeatable you-ness that is Wendy-ness yes. that nobody else has in the whole world, then we could be at a restaurant and I could say, doesn't our waitress have lovely red hair? Mm -hmm. And there wouldn't be that same kind of threat because you know, and I know that she's not you. Mm -hmm. To the degree that my love reaches you and your love reaches me, the unrepeatable me and the unrepeatable you, then we have a solid foundation that lasts and is not threatened by qualities in someone else that we might find attractive. Right. So if your love stops, Alwyn, at something that, that can just be put on a checklist. There's, there's so much growth that needs to happen there to, to, for the love to reach the person. I would say to you, Alwyn, don't seek somebody who ticks all the boxes on your checklist. Seek to fall in love, not with qualities, seek to fall in love with a person. Mm -hmm. You want to say more about that, I, Wendy? I feel like you, Alwyn, are just on the in a beautiful place in your life of real getting honest with the Lord about your desires. And the fact that you're asking this question is showing that he's calling you to a deeper trust, mm. you know, and that's exciting because mm. he wants you to trust him because he has something wonderful in store for you. And you're actually, I think, getting aware of, well, maybe I am limited in my trust because these things feel maybe too important or something. Um, 
some of our favorite stories, including our own, of couples coming together are couples that were surprised by the person God brought into their life. We have friends where the husband is eight years younger than the wife. And when they were single people, that seemed like an impossible age difference. Or where the wife is a full foot taller than the husband. You know, things that were surprising to them, but that was like almost the way they knew it was God because it wasn't as they imagined. So I think it's a very exciting place to be in if your heart can just open up and see the Lord is inviting you to a deeper trust in His goodness. I love what you said, God doesn't show you gold and then give you silver, just that He might need to help you to see a gold you didn't Mm, see before. mm, mm. And I I think that's very exciting, and I'm very excited for the, the woman that the Lord is preparing for you and all the goodness that that will bring into your life. Wendy, that was awesome. <laughs> so what you said was awesome too. I know, but but I think yours was awesomer. <laughs> I think we should have said yours first before I said mine, because that that like lays a better fun. Mine was more of a challenge and yours was more uh, of an affirmation. And I'm, yeah, I think Alwyn needs both the challenge and the affirmation. Yeah. Uh, let me Let me tell you this, Alwyn. I'll just, from my own heart, my own story, uh, uh, Wendy, I am, I'm so glad you are my wife. And if I had clung to my so-called checklist, I, w- I wouldn't have pursued you. Mm-hmm. My eyes needed to be open to what the Lord had in store for me. I would have lost out on all the blessings the Lord has showered on me through you, had I clung to what I thought I wanted in a wife. Mm -hmm. Um, You know that I have these recurring dreams, uh, really painful dreams that you and I don't end up getting married. Like That's a nightmare Mm -hmm. in my life. And it has something to do, I think, with my own blinders, my own preconceived ideas, which were so limiting and so, um, they were blinding. They, they were blinding. We, we were friends for three years. This is just part of our story. Listeners may not know. We were friends for three years before we ever dated or things mm-hmm. turned romantic. Yeah. And the reason I hadn't asked you out in those three years or even thought to ask you out is because of certain blinders I had on and a certain checklist that I thought this is what I want in a wife. And the more I got to know you, see, that's the thing. That was, that was one of the great gifts of our, of our time of dating and then engagement is we had that foundation of friendship, which was such a beautiful gift to both of us. Um, but I, I really did have blinders on. So Alwyn, I'm, I'm telling you this, brother, what the Lord wants for you is better than what you want for you, in as much as those two things might differ. And, and that's an important qualification because the Lord wants to fulfill the desires of our hearts, but the Lord often knows the true desires of our hearts far better than we do. And we've been warped and, and uh, lied to by the culture about what will make us happy and all that stuff. I just encourage you all to, to just as Wendy was saying, 
take this as an opportunity in your life to continue exposing your heart to the Lord and learning what it means to trust him. And it will take you to beautiful places. Yes. Amen. This is an anonymous questioner who asks or says, in a Protestant book to help wives recover from the porn addiction of their husband, I read this. While we're quick to expect our husbands to toe the to toe God's line of sexual purity, we're often slow to toe his other line and admit that our bodies aren't our own. We have no right to expect our husband to stay sexually pure if we constantly pull away. We're his sole vessel of sexual satisfaction, and guys need regular sexual fulfillment two to three times a week. No. So this is all a quote from a book. I don't know that this is the person share. In fact, I think it's pretty clear she doesn't like this. This is why she's quoting it to us. She says, I need the theology of the body point of view on this. Oh, dear. In my own journey of healing. Oh, dear. (laughs) Ah, you know why I'm saying, oh, dear. Um. Do you want to say anything first, Wendy, before I launch? Uh, I, the, the thing that strikes me right off the bat is that um, it's, it doesn't include two important things. One is acknowledgement of the, the wound in the marital relationship that would have come about from this behavior on the husband's part that affects the wife and her sense of dignity when when that's been an issue so it doesn't acknowledge that and it and then it also doesn't have any vision of the meaning of marital union it or it its vision seems to be it's simply a physical need to be fulfilled so that those are the two things that are just striking you right away that would cause you to be saying oh dear maybe there's more you want to say i'm saying oh dear because we have here in that book what you could call a, an animalistic approach to sexual desire versus what John Paul II calls a personalistic approach to sexual desire. John Paul said that there is a great need to rid ourselves of uh, this animalistic approach to sex where we think, as was quoted there, a a man, uh, this is the case in this book, it says a man needs this sexual release two to three times a week. And it uh, would appear from what how this book is putting it that the wife needs to accept she's the outlet and the only outlet, the only legitimate outlet for that release. And if she's not granting her husband that, quote, legitimate outlet for that needed release two to three times a week, then she shouldn't expect that he's going to be faithful to her. This is an animalistic, another word John Paul II uses is libidinistic approach to sexual desire that reduces the person. What do we mean by the person? The, The word person is the word we use to distinguish us from the animals, mm-hmm. right? Uh, there's this song some years ago by this band called the Bloodhound Gang. Mm-hmm. And the name of the band gives it away right away where they're coming from. I think I may have shared this in a previous podcast. But anyway, the lyrics went like this. We ain't nothing but mammals, so let's do it like they do it on the Discovery Channel. Wow. Uh, that's the epitome of the animalistic slash libidinistic interpretation of human sexuality. 
this does not correspond to the dignity of the person. What do we mean by person? Person means someone who has self-determination. You're not just something responding to instinct like a dog or a squirrel in heat. You are a person who has, again, these are John Paul II's rich philosophical terms that he uses. Persons have self-determination, which means we should not be ruled by our sexual desires. We should be able to rule our sexual desires, meaning give them direction. And the direction we are called to give to our sexual desires is precisely the rule of love, which is the rule of self-donation, mm -hmm. which we see in the way Christ loves his church. And so St. Paul tells us, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What does this mean? It means there's, there's no place in an authentic loving relationship to treat another person, even if it is your spouse, as some kind of, quote, legitimate outlet through which I, I can indulge my libido. And libido here I'm, I'm presenting or understanding as some merely animalistic instinct I cannot control. Now, what, what is, what the, the, the damage here and the, the problem here is that we end up normalizing the effects of original sin. Right? John Paul II says in his Theology of the Body that with the fall, the tragedy is that we have come to experience sexuality and sexual desire almost at the level of animals. A key word here is almost, right? We have fallen from the original glory, the original dignity. In the beginning, in God's original plan, sexual desire was not experienced as some kind of animalistic urge to indulge. It was experienced as the pure, beautiful, potent, powerful, flaming desire to love in the image and likeness of God. We've lost that. We've run out of wine here, wine being the symbol of divine love. The good news of the gospel is the call to redemption of desire, redemption of our maleness and femaleness. And the first miracle that kicks it all off is the restoration of that wine at a wedding. We've run out of wine. That wine is the symbol of God's love. Christ comes into the world to restore the wine in superabundance. My criticism of that book is that they have normalized the fall and, then, and in normalizing the fall, they're now legitimizing the mere indulgence of an animalistic understanding of sexual desire. And they're thinking marriage makes it okay. And then they're even saying, if the wife doesn't allow her husband to indulge this animalistic, libidinistic approach to sex, then she's at fault if he's unfaithful. No, my goodness. Uh, the, 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 it, it's not an exaggeration to say John Paul II uh, would abhor such an interpretation of human sexuality. And I would suggest we all should, because we're called to so much more. Now, that all said, let's be merciful, let's be kind, let's be understanding of the real struggle. And Wendy, you and I are no stranger to this. Though it's one thing to know the truth of what we're called to. It's one thing to even zealously defend it, as I'm trying to do right now. It's another thing to say, okay, that's the truth that must be defended, but let's recognize where we are on the journey, and let's recognize it's a long journey to that inner purification that allows us 
gradually, step by step, to grow more and more in that direction of reclaiming that original truth. Here we have to distinguish between the law of gradualness and the gradualness of the law. Did we talk about this recently? No. No? Maybe I talked about it on some other... Somebody else's podcast. Somebody else's podcast, probably. (laughs) Yes, I think you're right, in fact. It was somebody else's podcast. I was talking about this recently. So the law of gradualness is the recognition that here's the truth we're called to, but it's going to take a journey. And mercy makes up for us what we lack on that journey. And mercy is real. And and the number one ingredient of any authentic human relationship is showing one another that mercy. Yes. But mercy acknowledges in the very, the very reality of mercy is the acknowledgement that you're falling short of a glory to which you're called. Mercy is not the gradualness of the law. And that's the distinction. The gradualness of the law waters down the truth and brings it down to the level of our own weakness. That's what I would criticize this book for. It's confusing the law of gradualness with the gradualness of the law. It's bringing the truth of what we're called to down to the level of human weakness, Mm -hmm. rather than saying, no, this is what we're called to, and let's trust in God's mercy and grace to enable us step by step to go there. But if we don't hold out the bar as to what we're called to, Thank God. This is just my own life. I want to praise God for the gift of John Paul II because he was the first person to tell me, Christopher, here's what you're called to. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, nobody ever told me that. Now, how do I get there? <laughs> Through a long journey of inner purification, which is difficult and joyful, and uh, there's ups and downs and peaks and valleys, but it is worth it every step of the way because you learn more and more what it means to love. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are some of my thoughts. What are some of your thoughts? Yeah, I'm wondering, um, I love your passion and I'm grateful as your wife that your passion is about uh, true love and marital intimacy. So I can praise God for that in my life. And um, But I, I'm wondering, they're, they're kind of, Two, there are two people in a marriage, and they're you're um, right. They're kind of <laughs> two people hearing these words of yeah. this book, and I'm just thinking about from a wife's perspective. Um, there could be that sort of feeling of uh, self blame or something yeah. like, oh, well, there are several things that in the wording of this, and and I can appreciate whoever wrote this knew that it would cause reactions in people probably i don't appreciate the wording that was chosen at all um but at any rate i feel like there's there's that issue of a woman who has discovered or known for a long time that her husband has this issue with pornography who's experienced a lot of pain as a result of that Um, because there's an infidelity on the husband's part there's a um total dehumanization of of woman and of the gift of self in marriage it's not no longer a gift of self so she's felt used and that has wounded her and she's felt compared to an impossible ideal and that has wounded her and she's felt ashamed when she's around other people who don't have this struggle and she feels it's a terrible secret she's suffered yes Yes. and that uh, an author of a book would then 
kind of make that worse by saying, and you're to blame yeah, for this yeah. in some way. Pouring salt um, on the wounds. It's very painful to read that. Um, and so I guess that's one of the things I just want to speak to is that this is a very painful situation. And the Lord's path of healing is not through blaming Amen. you for this very serious sin that has wounded you and it's not your sin um it's the sins of others it's sin of your husband and the people in the pornography industry and all kinds of other things um so can i can i say something yeah on, on that? just to yeah just to add an, another layer do it because there's two people in the marriage yeah. just as you were saying that's not to say that the wife might not have some role because of her own brokenness that she brings right that may be contributing in some way, or pour, put it this way, pouring salt on the wound of the husband. Right. So I know that's not what you're intending, but I just thought that yeah. that needs to be said too. We, we don't want to we don't want to give the impression that it's always just the man's issue or the the man's fault. And that's where I think this book was maybe trying, trying to, to get at get that, at that, but didn't do a good job at it. Such a a personal journey, such a a graced, grace surrounded kind of self-knowledge to be able to recognize, is there that component and what is it? And can I seek my husband's mercy for that? That's part of a, a healing journey. And I think in the initial phase, it's more, does more harm than good to say, it's probably your fault. Right. Yes. Uh, and that tone seems to kind of come through here in the, in this parallel way that it's laid out. Um, so that's something that just really struck me. Um, and then, then the other side is that it, it almost seems to kind of encourage the husband to, to see the call that God has put on his life as this phrase, toe the line of sexual yeah, purity yeah, 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 yeah. is so weak and sad <laughs> compared to the beauty that God wants to give to him. Yeah. Yes. G.K. Chesterton says, purity is a flaming thing like Joan of Arc set a fire, right? That, 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 that's so different than toe the line. Right. Yes. So I think those were the things that struck me for each person reading this is that the husband needs to know he's god is wanting to give him a gift and yes. he's totally rejected that gift through this addiction or this habit and he's needing to have a lot of healing himself in order to recognize and receive this gift and to be purified and made new as a gift for his wife and he needs to have patience and humility in her process mm, as well. Mm, mm. So if there's, I loved all the things that you mentioned from John Paul too, because that's what she said. I want to know from yep. a theology of the body perspective. So that's beautiful that, that you know him so well that you can get the specific, you know, quotes or, or, um, ideas across. But yeah, if, if we can't just say to our listeners that this is, you know, a process of healing, the Lord is calling both of you to, and this, this book is just missing that entirely. Yeah. I have two images that are coming to mind that I th think are, are maybe the Holy Spirit whispering to me uh, that I'll share. Mm -hmm. I have this image of a, a big jar full of rocks, and those rocks represent 
all the wounds and hurts and sins and brokenness in this marriage. And it couldn't, could be any marriage because every marriage has its share of rocks, right? Mm -hmm. And you know how when you, you have a jar full of rocks and you pour liquid into it, the liquid has the way of, of moving over all of those rocks, embracing, ca even caressing, if you will, yes. all of those rocks. And, and every little crevice gets filled by the liquid. Mm -hmm. That image to me is of God's mercy. Mm -hmm. It's really real that every rock in that jar is known and wrapped and surrounded by God's mercy. It, maybe there's a lid on that jar. Maybe that lid has been screwed on really tightly. I would invite you to open that lid. And if it's too tight to open, ask the Lord for the strength to open that mm -hmm. lid, to let God's waters, living waters of mercy, to come into that jar and, and surround each and every one of those wounds and fill that jar. That's one image I had. The other is a uh, movie scene from one of our favorite movies, The Crucible with Daniel Day-Lewis. Yes. And I don't want to get into the whole story of the movie, but the, just one theme in the movie is Daniel Day-Lewis's character had been sexually unfaithful to his wife. And, and there's a long journey in the movie. She had been very, very cold and, and resentful and all understandable because she had been deeply wounded by her husband because her husband was unfaithful and it deeply wounded her and she was right to be pissed. But through the course of the movie, she came to see how her own coldness towards her husband, not that she was to blame, but that it contributed to mm -hmm. some of his husband, her husband's issues. And there's this beautiful scene of reconciliation between the two. It is beautiful. So powerful where she's coming to terms with the junk that she brought into the relationship. And he's coming to terms with the junk that he brought into the relationship. And there's this beautiful human acknowledgement that we're both broken. And there's the forgiveness they extend to one another. So powerful. So I, I hold that out. Uh, it's a great movie. You and I, remember we watched it when we were newly married. Yeah. And we knew it was powerful, but we didn't, we knew it was, there's so much in it, but we couldn't quite get it in the first watching. And then when it came out on video, we watched it like three times yeah. one weekend. Uh, so it's, it's a movie that repays continual viewings. Mm -hmm. So we'll hold that out to you too, if, if it's of any interest to watch that movie. Powerful stuff. Yeah. Hope that's helpful for our dear anonymous questioner. Yes. Well, for the sake of time, I think we'll, we'll wrap up there. Uh -huh. I hope what we shared for all you listeners was encouraging, helpful. There's so much more to learn in this theology of the body. Wherever you are on your journey in getting to know John Paul II's teaching, I just encourage you to continue, keep going. If you're familiar with um, maybe theology of the body for beginners, that's a great place to start. The book Good News About Sex and Marriage, which is a Q&A book, is a great place to start. In fact, it's probably the best place to go, especially in the format of this podcast, which is Q&A. We know that sometimes our, our answers, because they're limited just by the nature of a podcast, can't go into all the detail that we might like to, that, or we might not be able to answer questions that you have. The Good News About Sex and Marriage is 150 questions and answers. Make sure you get the new edition which uh, came out a year and a half ago, which uh, bumped it up from like 115 questions to 150. 
uh, make sure you get that newer edition. And again, as I always say, if you are in a financial situation where you, you can't afford these resources, please let us know. Uh, uh, we have said this in the past. We don't, we don't want to ever let money get in the way. Um, but maybe in the past, we've been a little bit vague about how to do this. And if we're going to put in the show notes from now on an email address where you can send a specific email to our, one of our staff members, if you are in, and please I, I just ask, you know, honor system here, don't take advantage of it. If you really can afford 15 bucks for a book that helps our mission, but if you cannot, please take us up on the offer and email our staff member and uh, just let her know your situation. You're taking me up on the offer and we'll send you the book free of charge. Uh, that's, that's our promise to you, our gift to you. Uh, we're going to rely on our patrons out there to, to help us cover those costs, which brings me to the next thing. If you want to be part of our patron community to help us afford to give away resources when that's needed, we sure could use your support. You can click the link in the show notes. We love you guys. We're in this together. Uh, let's stick together. Let's pray for one another. We're always praying for you guys, our listeners, and we appreciate your prayers a heck of a lot uh, for our marriage, for our family, and also for everybody who works at the TOB Institute. So grateful. You guys are a gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they're not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.